As we go through the book of Matthew, we come to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at uh, the situation in verse 21 to 35. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, Matthew 18, 21 to 35. I want to begin by telling you a true account of, of an issue. And uh, you need to understand that this happened many years ago, but it's, it's still very uh, germane for what we're talking about here. And it's about the paying back of wrongs is what it's titled. And it says this, each week Kevin Tunnel is required to mail a dollar to a family that he would just as soon rather forget. They sued him for $1.5 million, but they settled for $936 to be paid a dollar at a time. The family expects the payment of $1 to come every week uh, by Friday since it ha- this issue happened on the first Friday uh, way back of 1982. That is the day that their daughter was killed and Tunnel is the one who was convicted of manslaughter and drunk driving. Uh, he was 17 years old. The girl that he killed was 18. Tunnel served a court sentence and he also spent seven years campaigning against drunk driving and that was six years more than what the court had said that he, he should have to do. But he keeps, he keeps forgetting to send that dollar every week. The family has taken him to court four times for failure to comply with the court order. After the most recent appearance, Tunnel spent 30 days in jail. Uh, he insists that he is not trying to defy the order, not at all. But he did say in court that he is haunted by the girl and her death and he's tormented by the reminders every week. And he offered the family two boxes of checks covering the payment until the year 2001, which was one more year than it was required. They refused and they said this, it is not money we seek, but penance. I don't know if they were saved people, I don't know if they're religious people, but this is uh, how this, this has gone. Quoting the mother, she said, and I'm quoting here, We want to receive the check one week and and on time every week. He must understand that we are going to pursue this until August of the year 2000. We will go back to court every month if we have to, to get our check. Well, you would have to agree that few people would question uh, the the anger of the family. Uh, Obviously, that would make you very angry. Only a naive person would think that it is fair to leave the guilty unpunished. But I do have one concern, and the person who wrote this and is uh, reporting it to us was a guy by the name of Max Lucado. And he says, I have one concern. Is 936 payments really going to be enough for you? Not for a tunnel to send, mind you, but for the family to demand. When they receive that final payment, will they be at peace? Is 18 years worth of restitution sufficient? Will 196 months of remorse be adequate for their loss? Now I want you to key in on what Max is saying here. How much is enough? Were you the family and were Tunnel your target? How many payments would you require? And then he changes his tune here and he says this. Better stated, friends, how many payments do you require? How many payments do you require when somebody wrongs us? He goes on to say, 
No one, and I repeat no one, makes it through life uh, free of injury. Someone somewhere has hurt you. Like the uh, 18-year-old, you've been a vic- like the 18-year-old, you've been a victim. She died because someone drank too much. Part of you has died because someone spoke too much, demanded too much, or neglected too much. I think that's a great uh, introduction to what we need to talk about. Now, no matter what you think about what this family's done, people are on both sides. Uh, the issue isn't about that, it's about us. Do we forgive? How many payments do we require? So there is only one reason, I mentioned this in my prayer, for anybody to hang on to anger. And the only reason to hang on to anger in your heart is so that you can exact revenge. And uh, the Bible is very clear in Romans 12, starting in verse 17, that revenge belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. Let him take care of it. God has spoken on vengeance that it belongs to him, not us. God will repay the wrongdoings that are done to us. That's a matter of faith. Do you believe that he will do that? Ours is to forgive from the heart those who have hurt us. One might have to go to court for justice in a situation, but forgiveness is to always be present for those who claim to be members of the family of God. So we're going to really get personal with this and say this. You and I need to understand that if we belong to Jesus Christ who forgave us everything that we've ever done as members of his family, we do not have a right to not forgive people for whatever they have done. Now, on the other side of forgiveness, the person you're forgiving, there's things that have to go on. Number one, uh, if you're asked to forgive them, you need to forgive them. The other issue is, did they really repent of what they did? If they didn't repent of what they did, then we treat them as, we treat them as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. In other words, we're not going to put ourselves in harm's way, but we did forgive them. They just need to repent. Peter today asks a penetrating question on this fundamental issue of forgiveness. I want to read the whole account. It's going to take us a minute or two, uh, but that's okay. And here's what it says, uh, starting in verse 21, chapter 18. Then Peter came and said to him, so he's talking to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? So he's asking a question, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Uh, Lord, are you thinking probably what, seven times? Jesus said unto him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So now he's going to give us an illustration of how does it work with forgiveness in God? And I'm going to show you a picture, he said, of a, of a landowner, of a guy who has slaves, and you, you see what he says here. So, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Verse 24, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with the selling of his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave, hearing this, fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of his debt. But... That slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell on the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. 
but he was unwilling. And he went and he threw him in debtor's prison until he should pay back all that was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and they reported it to their Lord, all the things that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay what was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And that prepositional phrase at the end is one of the most important things to get a hold of. Forgiveness must come from your heart. Well, let's look at this together. So we'll start uh, here with point number one, if you're following along in the bulletin. Every, every day is allergy season with me, so sorry about the interruptions there. So point number one, we're going to deal with verses 21 and 22. Peter asked the essential question concerning forgiveness. Lord, how many times do I have to do it? In other words, you ever had somebody that they kept doing something wrong, kept doing something wrong, they're always asking forgiveness, but they don't change. And uh, the issue is, do I forgive them or not? So in verse 21, the topic of forgiveness is on their minds because of what Jesus was teaching on uh, in terms of confronting a sinful brother or sister, which we called church discipline last week. So that's still on their mind, and they're, they're thinking about this. And he says, well, Lord, how, how often should we forgive a brother or a sister? So Peter asked Jesus, what is the will of God concerning how many times a believer needs to forgive a person who sins against him or her? It's a good question. And I want you to note especially that this is a brother here who is sinning against a brother. But I want you to keep in mind that if a brother sins against a brother, that brother may not really be a brother. That brother may not really be a member of the household of God. So we need to remember that. This is a brother who is sinning against a brother. So they're both in church, let's say. They're both pretending to be Christians. They're both or acting like Christians. And, and maybe they're genuine, maybe they're not. But I would say Peter was. Uh, but this is a brother who is sinning against a brother. And there's always a choice to make when someone has sinned against you in some way. And the issue is, will I, will I choose to forgive or will I choose not to forgive? Because forgiveness is a choice, but it's more than that. It's also a matter of obedience to what the Lord tells us. So Peter offers a guess that maybe we should forgive other people. Lord, let's just say seven times. Is that good enough? Uh, why would Peter have guessed what seems to us to be so low? I mean, what do you mean only seven? Well, probably because in his day, the traditional rabbinic teaching of his day was that uh, they, they expected you would forgive a person up to three times. So when you look at what Peter said, he's really up in the ante and saying, I'm, I'm willing to do it up to seven times. Well, in verse 22, Jesus teaches that you forgive your brother 77 times. By the way, uh, your Bible may say 70 times 7. Um, if you have a new uh, 2020 New American Standard Bible, they've changed it to 77 because all the evidence of the Greek text and everything else tells us it should have been translated 77, not 70 times 7. So that's what I'm going with. Current scholarship believes that this is the best translation of the Greek phrase, and they get that from Genesis 4.24, where Lamech had sinned and God punished him and he says his sin, back in verse 14, is going to be sevenfold, 
And he says, so God is going to punish me 70 times 7. It's the same Greek phrase in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. And so we've come to understand it should have been 77. I was growing up as a boy, I always said 70 times 7. And come to find out that's not what the text says. But here's the point. And don't miss the point. Forgiveness is supposed to be unlimited. Uh, none of us walks around with a little book in our pocket with a pen and they say, okay, yeah, here's Greg. How many times have I forgiven that rascal already? I think I left off at 60. We're getting close. <laughs> uh, do you think that's what Jesus meant? Of course he didn't. Uh, he, wants, he wants us to think uh, there's, there's no end to what we forgive. So note that this is the exact kind of forgiveness that Jesus provided us on the cross. What if Jesus literally said, okay, Greg, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive you in your lifetime of 77 things. Boy, I hope you don't go past that because then you wouldn't be forgiven. We're to forgive the way Jesus forgave. And as far as the Bible is concerned, Jesus is very clear that he has forgiven us of everything, everything, past, present, and future. It's all forgiven. And there's nothing that, that remains unforgiven. So it's not a limit on forgiveness. It's a way to say uh, you do it every time somebody wants you to. Uh, now Jesus tells the parable to illustrate this truth. And so we have the parable before us. And so the second point in verses 23 to 27 is this. Those for whom God has shown the compassion of forgiveness should show that compassion to all others. Understand where we're going with this, okay? Jesus is saying, if you belong to God, all right, in his day, he's talking about faith in him too, but if you belong to me, Jesus says, then you have been forgiven everything, so if you really belong to me, there's nothing that you can't forgive. And I cringe when I hear a person who claims to be a Christian say something like, I will never forgive you for that. That is a phrase that true believers should never be able to say. Because there is no such thing as I'll never forgive you of that. So in verse 23, Jesus frames the parable in the confines of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we need to say that though the kingdom of heaven is not yet full blown on earth, Jesus isn't here right now literally ruling on earth. It's not full blown. We are still members of that kingdom. When you and I trusted Jesus Christ as our personal savior, we became a member of the kingdom of God. And that was instantaneous based on our faith. He sealed us to the day of our salvation. He circumcised our hearts. He has indwelled us, and all that stuff happened immediately when we trusted Christ as our Savior. So what we need to understand is Jesus is teaching there are some requirements for kingdom members. There are some expectations, and they're pretty high according to the world. They're pretty high expectations that God wants true kingdom believers to have. So... If we're Jesus' followers, we need to follow him in this. Dr. David Turner said this, and this brings this together. Don't miss it. Thus, to be forgiven is to be freed to forgive. God forgave us, and it frees us to forgive everybody else of everything that they have ever done against us. So a king desired to settle the accounts with his servants, and he says it's time to go over the books. And these accounts were some of his servants that he had, they had with him. And he says, today's the day of reckoning. We're going to settle the accounts. In the same way, Jesus, our king, will one day settle the accounts that we have with him at our judgment. And for those who are saved, you won't be judged according to your salvation. You'll be judged according to your works. What did you do? 
What kind of thoughts did you have? What kind of actions did you have? What did you do in my name that was really in your name? And what was done with the wrong motivation? That's all going to be judged. And we also remember that the initial forgiveness of our sins was huge. It was insurmountable in terms of us being able to think about it. We should be thinking, how much did I owe God for my sins? The Bible's answer for how much you owe God for your sins is not a happy answer. We owe God the death of our human bodies and the death of our spirits in hell, which is not annihilation or, or a death of, of not being conscious, but it's death because God isn't in hell. He's not going to be there with you. You'll find no help there. You'll find no joy there. It's going to be torment day after day forever and ever and ever. Now, whatever you would say it would be worth for you to pay to get free of that, that's how much you and I owe God. It's insurmountable. I, I can't even imagine uh, what, that, what that cost would be. Well, this in verse 24 is the process of settling up accounts. And one of his servants is brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. How much is that? Well, we're going to talk about it. It's not going to be precise because in those days there were some different measurements, but a talent would be anywhere between 58 and 80 pounds U.S., okay? So one talent is a lot of silver or a lot of gold, 58 to 80 pounds worth. There were 6,000 denarii, and that's the, that's the uh, coin they would use to pay a laborer. You work one day, you get one of those. And uh, there were 6,000 denarii to one talent, and a denarius was one day's wage. You with me so far? So this man owed, in today's uh, terminology, in today's uh, financial ways, 99,990,000 days wages, or roughly 275, <laughs> 275 years wages for an average worker. The king, said Dr. Keener, is going to be lucky if he walks away from this guy with 9,999 talents, let alone one. And what we're really talking about is forgiveness and heaven and hell. And when we think about how much did God forgive me, it is a debt that no man can meet, no man can pay for. If he owned the whole world, he couldn't pay for it. Here's a guy that owes way more than what he ever should have been lent, obviously. And the estimated dollar values for this range from several million dollars to one trillion dollars, says Dr. Blomberg. The point is, he owed more than he could ever think of repaying. And the point is, with us and Jesus, you and I owe more than we could ever think of repaying. It would cost you an eternity in hell, and you still would never get it paid. So in verse 25, the man has no means to pay the king. So the king orders he and his family to be sold into slavery. All that belongs to him is to be sold, house, everything, donkeys, whatever he's got, and repayment be made. He's going to be lucky, as Dr. Keener said, to get one talent back for what the slave possibly owns. And so he's going to go off. He'd have to work in this uh, debtor's prison, and whatever he made would go back to the debt. He's never going to get out of it, and that's the point. All this would uh, come close to... Uh, not, not come close to paying off his debt, would it? He will lose everything because of his debt. Nothing will be left. 
In verse 26, the slave falls to the ground and begs for mercy and compassion from his Lord. And he states that if the king has patience, the man will pay him back all he owes. And you know what the king knows. No, you won't. That's not even possible. There's not enough days in your life to turn over just one day's wages to me. That isn't going to happen. And we all know that's impossible too. And with God, the Bible tells us our debt to him is impossible for us to pay. It's impossible. You owe a debt that you can't pay, and you never will. And it costs eternity in hell. This is terrible. The king unbelievably had mercy on him and released him and forgave him his entire debt. Not half of it. He didn't take the top off. He, he gave it all. He said, I'm going I'm to forgive you for everything. Unbelievable. <laughs> what? How much, how much forgiveness is that? It's fantastic. How would you feel if that was you and you just got forgiven and you don't have to pay back 99 uh, a million or a million or a trillion dollars and you just walk away free? That should change your life. And when Jesus forgave us of our sins, if we know what kind of a debt we owed, how should that, how should that impact us? Well, if you are a believer who understands exactly what God forgave you and me, you know what this man should feel right now. In point three, verses 28 to 34, I want us to learn this. The forgiven must not fail to pass on compassion and mercy through forgiveness to all others. We who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, who have been forgiven of everything, should not fail to pass on forgiveness to whoever asks. So in verse 28, here's a man who doesn't understand the mercy that was just extended to him. And it reminds us of Jesus' words in Luke 7, uh, 44. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to read that. And it's going to illustrate this uh, very well for us. Luke 7, 44 to 48. Turning toward the woman, he said, to Simon, and Simon is the uh, Pharisee that invited Jesus over to eat with him that day. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Well, you can't miss her because she's at Jesus' feet, weeping and wiping his feet with her, with her hair. So yeah, he, he sees her. But he said, do you see this woman? Speaking to Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet her feet with her te- my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, a greeting, but she, since, I, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which is what you did for people coming off a dusty road. And, and you did not anoint my head with oil, and she's anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He's talking about Simon. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't know what that perfume cost. It was expensive. But nothing like the cost that she owed Jesus for her soul. So back in our text in Matthew, the slave goes out and he finds a man who owes him 100 denarii. And he goes all Rocky Balboa on him. And he starts choking him down. And he demands, you better pay me right now or I'm going to choke you to death. 
Well, we're supposed to be amazed at the smallness of the debt that was owed him compared to what he'd just been forgiven of. He owes 100 days wages. That's all. That's payable. The man could pay that back. His fellow slave then falls down in verse 29 and begs him for mercy and, and patience. And he says the exact, exact same thing that this guy just said to his, his master that he could not pay back. He said he would repay him if he gave him time to work on it. Of course, this is exactly what the slave had happened for him, and the boss just forgive, forgave him. And this man has a payable debt. His was impossible. So in verse 30, he would not forgive him, and he had, uh, had him thrown into what's called debtor's prison. And he was to stay there until he had worked off every cent of what he owed, away from his family, away from his normal livelihood. And I don't know what they had to work on in those days, but it's going to take 100 days at least to pay him back. But he could do it. And he has to stay there until he worked off the, every last denarius of it. In verse 31, there's some people that saw this. I don't know if he knew they were watching or he didn't care. But they saw it. And so uh, the fellow slaves of his witnessed his act, and they were deeply upset about it, as they should be. <laughs> you, you just got forgiven an unpayable debt. Are you kidding me? This guy owes you, you know, chump change, and you threw him in prison? So they were grieved, and they went, and they told the king. And the king brings him back into the king's chamber and expounds on the lesson that he should have learned, but he tragically did not learn. And it's going to cost him. It is right to show mercy to others with the same mercy that has, was shown you. It is a moral and ethical failure on our part to not show mercy. And I think that's what the text is saying. In verse 34, the king's anger now. Mm. How do you want to face the king? A king with compassion towards you or a king that is irreconcilably angry at you. And that's what he's facing. And the king ordered to have him handed over to the torturers until he paid all that he owed. He will never escape that torture. He will die in that prison. There's no hope for him. He can't live long enough to pay that debt. And so this is going to take him every day for the rest of his life, and he won't get it paid. There is no escape from the judgment. Torturers were jailers who had orders to torture one imprisoned in those days. Everything possible would be extracted from the wicked slave. You have a house, it's gone. You have a family, they're gone. They're into slavery too. You have any money, it's gone. Probably don't, this guy. You have any uh, furnishings for the house, they're gone. You have any land, it's gone. It's all gone. And life as he knows it is over. And friends, this is clearly a picture of hell for those who prove that they are not members of God's true kingdom. Not a member of the family of Christ because they did not show mercy when God showed mercy to them. What does forgiveness look like? Well, I'm not where I'm at here. When Shannon Etheridge was just 16 years old, an act of forgiveness of love changed her life forever. While Shannon was driving her car to school one day, Etheridge ran over Marjorie Jarstfar, a woman who was riding her bicycle along the country road. 
Marjorie died as a result, and Etheridge, who was found completely at fault by the authorities, was consumed by intense guilt. She contemplated suicide several times, but she never took her life because of the healing of the response of a man named Gary. And Gary just so happened to be Marjorie's husband. Gary forgave the 16-year-old and asked the attorney to drop all charges against her. Sorry, my nose is running. Saving her from a probable guilty verdict. Instead, he simply asked that Etheridge continue on in a godly way with godly footsteps uh, that his wife had lived. He says to her, he said to her, you can, cannot let this ruin your life. Gary told her more than 20 years ago, God wants to strengthen you through this fact, and I am passing Marjorie's legacy down to you. Gary's act of forgiveness showed Etheridge an amazing love from God that she hadn't known. And today, Etheridge is a best-selling author of books like Every Girl's Battle and Every Woman's Battle, and a recent book. Uh, complete is, is titled Completely His, Loving Jesus Without Limits, and it helps women overcome uh, guilt-ridden, wounded lives, and that's thanks to forgiveness. Finally, in uh, verse 4, we learn how forgiveness needs to be, I'm sorry, point 4, verse 35, and we learn here that we show we don't belong to Jesus if we refuse to forgive. I chose to put it in the negative instead of in a positive light. So uh, we, we show that we don't belong to Jesus if we don't forgive. I want you to turn back with me to Matthew 6 for a minute. And in this passage, we hear much of what we had heard before. Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. In other words, those who refuse to forgive are not true members of the family of God. Do you hear that? Those who are willing to say to somebody, I will never forgive you, are not true members of the family of God. At least that's what Jesus is saying here. I want to add a couple of things uh, that uh, some of the commentators said. Craig Blombard said, Jesus sees no incongruity, in other words, a mismatch in the actions of the Heavenly Father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly, and neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept as his those that are, I'm sorry, accept as his those devoid of compassion and mercy. In other words, he's saying you can't claim to be a member of God's family who is shown mercy by God and then refuse it for others. Uh, Dr. Blomberg goes on and says, Frighteningly, many in Christian circles today seem in danger of this judgment because they refuse to forgive fellow believers, speak kindly to them, cooperate with them, and accept their apologies. Now, we're assuming, friends, that the apologies are real. If an apology is real, it's followed with repentance. If it is not followed with repentance, it's not real. So if the issue is church discipline, which he just talked about last week, here's what the Bible uh, can, says about what forgiveness means. And this comes from uh, Dr. Turner. He said, when this delicate balance between discipline and forgiveness is faithfully maintained, excommunication from the church is in reality a self-imposed exile by that person. I think he's right. 
You know, forgiveness also in this verse must come from the heart. If you see somebody that you forgave and you say, boy, I just don't want to be around that person anymore. It bothers me to be in the same aisle of the grocery store with them. It's because you didn't forgive them. You forgave up here because you were supposed to 77 times. And Jesus said it doesn't count if it doesn't come from here. We must forgive from the heart. And that means from the heart, it's, it's going to be over with then. Forgiveness must come from the heart of the one forgiving, not from the head. So if you and I don't forgive, you and I are revealing our true spiritual nature according to these texts. And the only one you're hurting is yourself, and you will continue to be full of things like bitterness, revenge, resentment, anger, and conflict in your heart if you refuse to forgive. Some of us in here have had to, had to forgive people that have died, and they weren't there to talk to. And if they had to respond and say they were sorry and all that, I, I could, I'd still be full of that bitterness, conflict, and rage, and all that other stuff. But if you forgive in the way I'm going to tell you here, you can uh, get rid of those things. See, if your wife is angry with you, and all of a sudden she gets all historical about you, and digs up your past and brings it up in your face, you know that you have not been forgiven by her. Forgiveness is this for Christians. Listen carefully. It is being willing to pay for the pain and consequences of another's sin and then setting them free from liability for punishment. Somebody has to pay for sin. Sin costs life. Life was in the blood. Jesus paid for ours. And when we forgive somebody else, somebody has to pay for that sin. I just said you could forgive a person that maybe abused you as a child and they're dead. You can forgive that person. They don't have to be here. And you can say, Jesus, I am willing to carry the pain and the consequences that my dad or my mom caused me with your help. And today I'm going to set them free. Now, what are you going to do with those pain and consequences? You do what, what we are supposed to do. You put them at the foot of Jesus and you ask him to carry those for you. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to carry them. So let me say this one more time. It is being willing to pay for the pain and consequences of another's sin against us and setting them free from liability for punishment. And you have forgiven. If it comes from your heart. And the pain that they cause you, Jesus will take it. So forgiveness is an act of grace. It is compassion. It is love. And it is mercy. Hmm. That sounds a lot like exactly what Jesus did for us. And it is. We forgive as many times as we are offended. Forgiveness is to be unlimited the Father, according to these texts, won't forgive those who don't forgive because, I think, they're really not his children. That's the issue. God's true children will forgive any offense as Jesus forgave all of the sins against him. That's the whole parable. This guy had a little debt owed to him, but he was forgiven of a debt that was insurmountable, and he goes out and he, you know, tries to choke the guy, get his hundred denarius back. Huh. That doesn't show a change of heart. Those who know what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them have a change of heart. They're, they're all different about forgiveness now. So I've given some things by way of application here, and I've printed these out for you. Luke 17.4 says this, and if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, 
you shall forgive him. Some people just say, forgive me, and they are not really apologizing, and they don't really mean to change. That, that's going to involve a different story. But if they ask, you forgive. Number two, we can never forgive others more than God has forgiven us. doesn't matter what they do to us or how long they do it to us. You will never outdo what Jesus did for you and me. And then finally, jumping into a context here in Ephesians 1, 6 through 8. It says this, To the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved, which is a term for believers. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The forgiveness of our wrongdoings. Which ones, Lord? All of them. All of them. Past, present, or future, they are all forgiven in Jesus Christ. So we're to forgive in the same way. We're going to uh, have communion here together. And uh, I will parel before I touch your communion stuff here. If you might be one who's here today and you have unforgiveness in your heart for whoever, for whatever, while we're waiting and praying to take this together, why not forgive them? Why not stop carrying that junk around? Why not get rid of the conflict and the bitterness and the rage that you have in your heart and the, and the need for revenge and start living your life without those things hanging around your neck? I hope that's what you'll do. You can be turning to uh, Luke 22, and we'll be there for the, th- for the communion. I'll ask our men to come forward and Becky to help us. And-